So again, if you are just joining us, we are right in the middle, or actually almost the end of a series called Moments in Matthew, which is basically us just walking through different moments, different uh, moments of Jesus's life, his ministry, and then the mission of his kingdom. We're just picking, uh, going through the text, looking at the high uh, points of, of his ministry life and, and, and the mission of his kingdom. And so last week, uh, to kind of catch you up to speed with what's happened since Dan preached last week on chapter 14, we saw that Jesus, Dan, you did a great job, Jesus invites us to bring our insufficient resources and abilities to him so that he may display his redemptive and sanctifying power in our lives. Summed up that in this kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus, the king invites us into a better way. And then we didn't get a chance to go in 15, 16, and 17, but to give you a 30,000-foot view, if you will, chapter 15, Matthew helps us see the authority of God's Word and the call to cultivate this holiness out of a regenerated, out of a new heart that the Spirit gives us in salvation. In this kingdom, the King provides us with the only way. That's what you see in chapter 15. In 16, you move along and you see Jesus sets forth what it means to follow him. What does it mean to be a disciple? Uh, and then we also see in 16, his, his death is first predicted here. And so it's kind of a big deal for his disciples. He uses uh, Matthew 16, verse 24. He tells his disciples, if anyone is to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So in this kingdom, the kingdom of God, the king models the way in humility. It's not just do this, it's watch me and then follow me is what he calls. And then you get to chapter 17, we see that uh, we behold the glory of Jesus Christ. That as we behold the glory of Jesus Christ and who he is, that we become more like him. In this chapter, uh, you see one of the most beautiful and glorious portraits of Jesus in the gospel. It's this transfiguration. It demands our worship. Jesus is being lifted up. And, and if I wish we had more time to talk about this, but you can read chapter 17. We don't have the time, but Jesus is on this mountainside with Peter, James, and John. And it's important to make note of this because this is the first time in Jesus's ministry where it starts to click with the disciples of, oh, this is who Jesus is. This is who he, we've been, been with him. We've seen miracles and we've seen moments of, of some, some really cool things, but this is who Jesus is. It solidifies to the disciples who he is. On this side of the text, you can read that and think, well, obviously, we know who he is. This is, man is named Jesus. He's the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. But for them, if you put yourself in the disciples' shoes, for them, they're literally living this story out as it plays out, and they're watching it. They're watching it unfold. And for them, this transfiguration in chapter 16 uh, or chapter 17, um, seeing Jesus reveal his divine glory. This is what it does for them, that Jesus radiates the splendor of God, all right? So as he's being lifted up, the, the, the heavens depart, the light shines on Jesus. Jesus radiates the splendor of God. Jesus unveils the presence of God. Now, all of a sudden, the disciples see, oh, this is, this is bigger. This is, this is real, such a big deal. Jesus embodies the pleasure of God. Jesus speaks the divine word of God. Jesus truly is. I keep going back to this because Matthew connects the Old Testament and the New Testament so well. Jesus truly is the, prom the prophet promised by Moses that they've read about. They've read about as disciples for years that just as the Father used Moses to 
uh, in the great exodus to deliver his people out of slavery. Now the father, it clicks with them, has sent the son to deliver his people from their sin. And ultimately in this, if we'd have time, you would see that uh, the cross of Christ must come before the crown of Christ. In other words, Jesus continue, he's continuing to say, this is who I am. This is who God is, this is who I am, and this is what's about to happen. My death on a cross. His death was about to come. So in this kingdom, the king's divine glory has now been revealed to his disciples. That's a lot. That's like a history lesson, three chapters of the Bible, really quick. But that brings us up to speed to chapter 18, where we will, we're going to camp out at the end of chapter 18 this morning. We've got to do some legwork. The first part of uh, chapter 18 talks about becoming a citizen of the kingdom. But to be a citizen, you must be a child of the king. Here you see Jesus, you can back up, calls his disciples to the humility of their heart. Then we see this shift in loving the church. Matthew 18 is known as the, uh, the, the Matthew 18 principle. If, if a brother sins against you, what do you do? It lays out this process of the body of believers. It's where the church discipline chapter sets in, and you see this beautiful thing of what it means to be covenanted to one another. Restoring work of church discipline takes place right here. He's setting up for where we're going to be, and then that's where we're at this morning is that we forgive one another. In this kingdom, the king extends his extravagant grace with us, and he forgives us. And because of that, you'll see this morning, we now are able to extend, just as Shelby did to the, the person who killed her father, the same extravagant grace and forgive others. So let's look at our text, Matthew 18, verse 21 through 27. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many times as seven times? Excuse me. Sorry. As many times as seven times. I tell you not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle these accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, and his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me. I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. The first thing I want us to see this morning is that forgiveness comes with a cost, right? So in this text, if you know anything, if you grew up around the church, Peter's uh, just a, a wonderful example of what it means to follow Jesus, but also just the reality of what it means to follow Jesus. When you think you have it figured out, you don't. And that's what Peter has right here. Uh, so culturally speaking, the rabbis would teach, the teachers would teach that you are to forgive somebody three times. After the third time, it's between them and the Lord. But you required, Christian, are to, you are to re, uh, extend forgiveness up to three times. So Peter here is kind of like the one-upper. You ever have those one-upper friends where you tell a story and they're like, oh yeah, let me tell you this story. Like the fish was this big and now all of a sudden you caught 13 fish that were this big. Peter's kind of like the one-upper disciple. So he sees this, he asks this question, he says, how many times should we forgive? And he throws out this one upper answer of like, should we forgive seven? Basically saying, I'm ready, God, to forgive Jesus. I'm ready to forgive up to seven times. 
He thinks he is one-upping. And what do we see here? Should I forgive as many as seven times? Verse 22, Jesus responds, actually more, 70 times seven. Jesus says, I see you, Peter, and I raise you, is, is essentially what's happening in this story. Jesus then goes on and he gives this extreme illustration, as we just read, about a king who is extending great merciful uh, forgiveness. It's extreme because if you read this, this man owed the king 10,000 talents. Now, let's talk about that just, just for a second. To be very clear, one talent is worth about 6,000 denarii which if you look historically and culturally, equates to about 20 years worth of work. So one, um, sorry, I just confused my own self. To be very clear, one talent is worth 6,000 denarii, which equates to about 20 years of work. Now times that by 10,000. That's a lot. That's all I'm trying to say. That is a lot that this man, it is extravagant how much this man owes. Today's terms, uh, uh, culturally speaking, would say this man owes over a billion dollars. He owes a ton of money. He is unable to pay that. Clearly, this servant in this story would never be able to repay the king this amount of money. But as Jesus tells the story, we see that the king, out of what? Out of compassion for the servant. He forgave the entire debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion. He released him, and he forgave him the loan. Now, this is Jesus telling a hypothetical story to his disciples, right, about a king. And he wants his disciples, his hearers, to, to grasp just how extravagant his grace is, how much Jesus' grace is extravagant, and how much forgiveness really is. That Jesus is not the king in the story. He is the king of kings. And in Christ, Christian, you have received extravagant grace. Like there's no price tag that you can put, that you could ever put on your sinfulness before a holy, infinite God. But our self-righteous hearts, if we're honest this morning, say things like, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. At least I've, I've never done that. I've never murdered. I've never committed adultery. I'm not as bad as them. And when we say that, Christian, we have no idea, no clue the extent of our own sin before a holy God. When you start playing that comparison game, it's dangerous. Our debt runs far greater than you could ever imagine. Think about your thought life just for a minute. Just spend 20 seconds thinking about your thought life, the things that you think about. How much anger do you think about? If I spent a day driving with you in traffic, how many times would you sin? Don't drive with me, please. But think about that. Think about your thought life. Think about how you, you interact with people. Think about the anger in your heart, your bitterness, your lustful desires. That's just, in, for me, it's, it's astronomical just to think about one day, much less years upon years, an entire life. Forgiveness comes at a cost. Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. Like our our debt was due. Church, our time was up. A payment was due. The wrath was to be poured out on you, was to be poured out on me, and because we couldn't pay up, but God, 
out of his great love for you and out of his extravagant grace, the Father has now sent the Son. Christ has paid your debt. Christian, he has paid your debt. He absorbed all of the wrath that should have been on my shoulders and yours. He absorbed it all. And if I can just be very frank, this is why Jesus is the hero of the story, not you. Not me. Jesus is the hero of the story. Peter, seven times here, sounds great. It does. But Jesus says, my kingdom, Peter, actually wipes out all of your sin, your past, your present, and your future has been forgiven. What beautiful truth that is for a Christian this morning. You know, the biggest difference, if you look at at this story, the biggest difference between the king of this story and the king of kings. Let's take it one step further. To the king of this story, this parable, you're still known as a servant. In the kingdom of God, the king of kings pays your debt and then takes it one step further. He now invites you to the table as a son and daughter, as a co-heir with the hero Jesus Christ himself. Man, Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. And once forgiven, again, I'm, I'm speaking to the Christians this morning, once you have been forgiven, we have no other response than to forgive. There's no other response than, than for us to extend forgiveness. Look with, me, uh, look with me in verse 28. The servant went out, the same guy who was just relieved of his debt, went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe me. At this time, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me, I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. He wasn't willing. Instead, he went on and he threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed, and they went and they reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. Can you imagine being a disciple here and hearing this next thing? Jesus says, so also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. In the kingdom of God, forgiveness, the second thing I want you to see is not an option. As Christians, we are to extend this same grace to those who sin against us. Just as quick as I mentioned a few weeks ago that pride can slam shut the kingdom, the door to the kingdom, unforgiveness can do the exact same thing. The servant who fell on his face and who literally begged for mercy, whose enormous amount of, of money that he owed, his debt was forgiven by the compassion of the king. How quick he is to take that now and to go to a man who owed him just a tiny fraction Especially if you're going to get in that comparison game, especially compared to what he owed his servant. And what does he do? He doesn't extend the same grace given to him. 
you wicked servant, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? And then he threw the man, the story goes, he threw the man in prison. Like this story on this side, it sounds absurd to me. Like how could this man do this, right? How could he not forgive? Does he not see how much he was forgiven? Does he not see the debt that was paid? How could he be forgiven and not extend forgiveness for such a small debt? I find myself over and over again, I've read through this as years uh, being in the ministry, I just find myself going to this, this self-righteous attitude of, of uh, man, I would never do that. And yet, we do it so often, right? We do not extend forgiveness. Nowhere in this beautiful book, the Bible, does it say that forgiveness is going to be easy. Matter of fact, it's not even a natural thing to forgive. Think about all the stories that you've heard where the victim forgives. It goes against every ounce of our flesh. Think about the times in your own life where you've been compelled to give the unthinkable acts done against you. Man, it just rubs you the wrong way, but you, there's been times where you've been overcome as a Christian by the Spirit where you're able to extend forgiveness. Christian, we have no other option than to forgive, and Jesus makes that very clear. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgive his brother or sister from your heart. You see, Jesus is kingdom. I've been saying this. Matthew says this over and over again. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's backwards. It goes against the cultural norm. Don't take uh, envy or don't, uh, don't take revenge on the one who wrongs you. He says, forgive when you've been wrong. He says, die when you want to live. He says, less when you want and desire more. It's not out of an obligation that you have to forgive, but it's because of His great love for you. In his forgiveness of your own sin that we are now compelled as Christians to forgive. Only by the love of the Father, through the blood of, the, of Christ and by the power of the Spirit, can we now be a person who forgives. Tony Morita, you'll see on the screen behind me, says, Only Jesus can enable the kind of forgiving heart this passage calls for. Gratefully, he reminds us of the extravagant compassion he has shown to us as the least deserving sinners. And by his grace, he enables us to extend that same extravagant compassion to those whom we would label as the least deserving. Hear this. This kind of forgiveness should characterize the church. It's no wonder that forgiveness falls in Matthew 18, the church discipline uh, this call to holiness, this call to a community of believers. Church, we should look different. We should be a forgiving family. We see the biblical principle here of forgiveness. In Christ, we have received extravagant grace, and we've been forgiven. And the second thing, as Christians, we are to extend extravagant grace. We are called to forgive. But again, forgiveness is countercultural. It's counterintuitive. Culture says forgive and forget. False. Like take that little phrase, wad it up and throw it out. There's no such thing as forgive and forget. To forgive someone is not to forget. Forgiveness is more like a marathon. It's more like a marathon than it is a sprint. 
Tony Marita, he goes on and he says, it's too, it is to consciously, forgiveness is to consciously determine that I will not hold something against the one who sinned against me anymore or any time in the future. And the key word here is consciously. Like as a Christian, we are to fight for holiness. Remember, this text falls, again, in this church discipline chapter. Matthew 18 is about this community of believers. They're in this together. Forgiveness is hard. It's costly. But church, it reveals the character and maturity as followers of Christ. And hear this, we are marked with forgiveness because we are covered by the blood of Christ. That's what separates us from the world. You can be a Christian marked with forgiveness because you've been covered by the blood of Christ. The world ought to see us act differently. It ought to see a different way from us. When we choose unforgiveness, we literally are slamming shut the door to the kingdom. But when we choose to forgive, we bust wide the door to the kingdom. Where we see Jesus as the ally of his enemies, the defender of the inexcusable, the justifier of the, of the, of the guilty. He's the friend of sinners. And that, again, that's why I keep coming back, why we keep coming back to this kingdom language that Matthew chooses to use. All throughout this gospel account, the kingdom of God is different. It's upside down. And Christian, that's what our hope is in. It's something different than the world has to offer. And as the kingdom continues to advance powerfully, the gates of hell will not prevail. And the hero is coming back. His name is Jesus. And that is where our hope is. Now, I know in a room, again, this size, as I mentioned kind of in our, our welcome, some of you, some of us, no, all of us, I know this, have been hurt. Some of us might be in a season of suffering currently. Maybe you're wrestling with unforgiveness. Or maybe you've been the one that has sinned greatly against someone and caused great pain. I read this, I read it over and over and over again, and as I was preparing, just me personally had a Band-Aid pulled off of a wound this week of a dear friend, and it hurts. It's somebody that I have forgiven a while back, but I've had to walk through some really tough feelings this week. I've forgiven, but sometimes forgiveness is like the gift that just keeps giving, but it's really not giving. It's, it's the gift that just keeps taking. Things come back up. You're like, man, I really thought I was over this. I really thought I've extended forgiveness, but feelings have, have triggered emotions and anger can turn to bitterness, as it did for me this week very quickly. I want you to know that there is hope for those on both sides of the hurting. Whether you've been wounded or you've been shamed, being a forgiving people is essential evidence of Jesus' power. And that's what the world needs to see today, a forgiving people. I'd be foolish not to walk through some practical steps with us. Like, it's real easy for me to say, hey, don't forget. Uh, forgive and forget. Uh, I, I feel like I, I have to do the work here. So here's the things that I hope will serve you well this morning. As you take that story, you wrestle with that, 
I'm going to give you three practical things of what does it mean to, to enter into this process. Uh, and the first one is that forgiveness is both a decision and a process. If you're taking notes, forgiveness is both a decision and a process. You don't start with forgiveness. Instead, you start walking towards it. And when you walk towards forgiveness, you recognize that there's been sin done. Like you, you have to evaluate what has been done to me. What have I done to others? And so forgiveness is that process where you start walking towards forgiveness. And you start there. Whether the victim or the offender, we grieve the sin that's been done. You have to. You can't just fake it till you make it. That's what people say when they say forgive and forget. They want you to just block out of your memory every bad thing that's ever happened to you. Well, forgive them. Speak, speak that. Okay, great. I've forgiven them, but there's still serious consequences. Forgiveness is walking. It's this process of walking into forgiveness. And if nobody's ever, man, if nobody's ever said this to you, if you're really in a season of just, you feel all alone and by yourself, and you're wrestling with this, and you hear, you hear your pastor say, you need to forgive, I'm with you. Let me just say, if nobody said this, I, for what it's worth, I believe you. I believe the pain and the suffering that's been done to you. And brother and sister, I grieve that. I acknowledge that you are sitting and suffering and you are hurting and if anything, I pray that you just feel noticed, if not by me, at least by the Father, that He cares for you, He knows what you are going through. Or maybe when you feel shame and guilt because of the things that you've done, what do you do with that? I've sinned against a brother and sister. The same thing. Grieve the sin that you have done. Grieve your sin. Confess and own your sin. Now is not a time when you're walking towards forgiveness. It's not a time to point fingers. There's no comparison game. You own it. You mess up, you man up, and you, you learn to, to move on. And how you move on is repentance. Confess your sin to the Lord. Confess it to your brother and sister. Turn from your sin. Ask for forgiveness from God and ask for forgiveness from the person that you've wronged. And if I can just be very very clear this morning. I, I find myself, and I think group leaders, other pastors, deacons, just any normal person in this room this morning, all of us, I think we would agree with this. I'm tired of seeing sin wreck relationships. I am. And I'm, I'm tired of seeing nasty fights of bitterness that's been there for years. Like that just wears on me. I'm tired of seeing sin wreck relationships. I'm tired of seeing Satan turn unforgiveness into bitterness. The world just says vengeance, vengeance, vengeance. And all I sit here and see is bitterness, bitterness, bitterness. Like I'm tired of seeing Satan do that. Those are lies. Forgiveness is an option and it's the better option as a Christian. And I'm certainly tired of seeing sin wreak havoc in his church, in the church. Man, I'm tired of it. Brothers and sisters, it's time that we wake up and we start walking in the life that God has called us to. 
It's a life of forgiveness, one that fights sin alongside each other. Like there's a better way. Church, the church is the better way. It's supposed to be the way. It's supposed to be the better way to this world. And it has to start in our own hearts. The Christian life fights the pride of our heart by forgiving others. And if you're here, you're like, man, I hear you, Matt. This sounds great. I hear you, and you just feel totally overwhelmed. You don't even know what it means to grieve the sin. Can I just tell you a couple of things? We have men and women all across our congregation who would love to enter into these difficult seasons with you. Like, you're not alone. You don't have to be alone. Number one, you weren't created to be the Lone, Range Christ, uh, Christian, Lone Ranger. Like, you need community. We have a prayer team that prays for people regularly. I would love to be able to text that prayer team and say, man, can you enter in into this and pray specifically for this? Like, they would love to enter in on your behalf. We have men and women who the Spirit has given the gift of mercy to. Would you let them minister to you? Like those tender-hearted folks with the, the spiritual gift of mercy are great to just sit with you and listen to you and grieve sin that's been done to you or against you. Let them minister to one another. People with that gift are great to be with, even with, when you don't know how, what to say or even how to feel. I heard a wise counselor say this one time. I wrote it down. I'll never forget it. Whatever your feelings won't allow for, the blood of Jesus will surely cover it. Wow. If you don't know what to feel or how to feel right now, somebody with the gift of mercy would love to come alongside you. We have resources to help you kill sin and walk in freedom. You are not alone in trying to kill sin. Let us help. We have connections to some great biblical counselors all across the Metroplex that we would love to connect you with. Do not walk alone in bitterness. We would love to come alongside you as your pastors. That is our role, to shepherd the flock. It is great joy for us to come alongside you and to help restore marriages, to, to help restore broken relationships, to work through conflict. It's hard work. But we find great joy in that. Why? Because Jesus is the hero and the world needs to see hope in the church. And it comes through forgiveness. We should be marked differently. You hear us say all the time, it's okay to not be okay. Just don't stay that way. That's what forgiveness is. It's okay to feel anger and to work through that. We just don't want you to stay that way. That's what the hope of Jesus does. And then you might think, that no one cares or that it's not that big of a deal, your sin, or that you're too far gone or you've committed too much. Those are lies from the enemy. Friend, if you're here this morning, not a Christian, and you're hearing things like your sin is too big for God to handle, or you're too far gone from God, He doesn't care about you, those are lies from the pits of hell. He is an all-knowing, all-pursuing God who loves you. Put your hope and trust in Him and run to Him this morning. And if you're like, man, I still don't know. Before Jesus saved me, this is what I love about personal salvation stories. Like, nobody can tell me any different. I know what I was before Christ, and I know what I, who I am after. Great example. If you're not a believer and you're like, man, it's too far gone. Before Jesus saved me, I was dead. I was. Look at Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. 
We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Hear this truth this morning, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not from works, so that no one may boast. That is the gospel message. You are never too far gone. Turn from your sin, ask for forgiveness, and run to the Father this morning. He loves you. He desires you to put your trust in Him. Real quick, the second thing, practical. When you find it hard to forgive, we are to die to ourselves. Came across an article by Ray Ortland a few years ago on forgiveness um, that I frequent pretty regularly. He talks about the hardship of those who have to go back and... Uh, and um, be confronted or, or to confront those who have sinned against them, to confront their offender, the one who sinned. It's not easy, just like with Shelby Houston, that I, the story I opened with, the young lady who lost her father. She has to walk in forgiveness means she has to die to herself every single day. And this is what Ortland says, forgiveness requires much death to self. And here's why. The offender is simply unable to make up to you all that their sin is destroyed in your life. Perhaps years of hardship, many sleepless nights, losses of money and reputation and opportunity, lost friendships because of misinformation and even lies that have been spread and more. A serious sin pushes dominoes of consequence over and over in many directions. And now the offender finally sees the impact of their destructive foolishness. Hopefully, they're devastated. That will lead them deeper into God's blessing, which is your desire. But a big part of the mercy God intends for the offender will come now through you. So here is your next hard assignment. You must accept that you're not going to recover everything that this person's sin has cost you. A big part of the tragedy of this life is that we do things to one another we cannot later remedy. No matter how penitent we become, it's why we must be so cautious in how we treat one another. Man, as you walk in forgiveness, you are able to see that though your story might be permanently changed because of the sin that's done against you, and I grieve that with you, but now you are more qualified to comfort those who need to receive the same comfort in Christ that you once received. I know this might sound odd, but brothers and sisters, it is a privilege, not a death sentence for you. What's been done against you, count it all joy. That's hard to say. But if you'll let the Lord tell your story, what a beautiful story that is. The third thing I want you to see is that there's no such thing as forgive and forget. I've said this over and over I think sometimes as adults, we, we think that it's possible, and perhaps that's because of how we were raised. Like, if you think about growing up, I remember my brother Chris and I would get in an argument, and Chris would hit me. I never did anything wrong. My mom's here. She can testify to that. Um, that's right. Uh, 
But Chris would hit me, and I'd go to mom, obviously, uh, and say, Mom, Chris hit me. She'd come in. She'd enter into this situation. We would triangle mom in, and mom would say, Chris, did you hit? Yes, I did. Okay, Chris, can you please look at Matt and, and tell him you're sorry? Chris would say, Matt, I'm sorry for hitting you. Like, as robotic as you can. Like we do now as parents, now that I'm saying this, uh, please say you forgive him. I forgive you. Uh, Chris, Matt, mom would look at me and say, Matt, would you please forgive him? Chris, I forgive you for hitting me. Then she would always say, all right, now y'all hug it out and go, go get along. Like that solved everything, right? It solved everything as a kid. But as an adult, I don't know about you, but when I think about the, the times of real hurt that I've experienced, there's never been a mom on this side that enters into that conflict right there or that, that sin that's been done that says, now, Matt, what happened to you is wrong. Turn and face that other person, say, I forgive you, hug it out, and move on. Oftentimes, more times than not, I'm left there to figure this thing out on my own. Why do I feel the way I feel? The one who sinned against me there isn't owning their sin. They're not asking for forgiveness, and it seems like forgiveness in that moment is impossible. And if I'm not careful, I'll let unforgiveness turn into bitterness. It's never going to feel like the right time to forgive. And if you're wrestling with unforgiveness today, let me just gently press you to the one who forgives. Perfect time to forgive is when you actually make the conscious choice to begin to heal. Don't sit in your unforgiveness too long this morning. Wrestle through it today if you need to. Ask questions. Grieve the sin that's been done to you. Grieve the sin that you've done to others. Better yet, let us, wrestle, let us wrestle alongside with you. Let us enter into that. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you for today. I thank you for the, Lord, the gift of forgiveness. By your life, your death, your resurrection, as Christians, all of our sin has been forgiven sins of the past, the present, and the future. Not just the things that we did wrong, but the things we failed to do right. They're all forgiven. God, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, just reignite that in our soul, remind us of your extravagant grace to us. Lord, may we never forget it. May we never underbelieve it, or may we never take our forgiveness for granted. I think a lot of times we wrestle with Peter's question, do I really have to keep forgiving? Lord, in light and in view of all of the hurts and pains that I see around us, Lord, I know that heart pain has such a photographic memory. And sometimes we suffer from gospel amnesia. So, Lord, would you awaken our spirits this morning? Would your presence comfort us? God, and would we come to you today for 70 times seven grace so that we wouldn't be held hostage to our unforgiveness? Would you do a work in our hearts this morning? I trust that you're at work. 
love you. Father, I praise you. Thank you for this beautiful church. Those that are hurting, Lord, right now, I pray that you would draw near to them and that we would draw near to you and to one another. May we not let bitterness creep into this this family who fight sin alongside each other. For our good and for your glory, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.